0: Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute.
1: Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's uh, lunchtime lecture. I'm delighted to welcome Alessandro back to the ADI as someone who did used to work here. Uh, But today he won't be speaking about that. He'll be speaking uh, about his work at BBC's Data Lab and around the concept of public service AI. Uh, before I hand over to Alessandro, a bit of housekeeping. Hopefully you have seen that we are recording this, um, so it can go on our YouTube channel afterwards. So please uh, keep yourself muted and cameras off during the talk. If you have any questions while Alessandro is presenting, please put them in the chat, and then afterwards we will uh, invite you to read them out again for the purposes of the recording. Or if you don't feel like being on camera or speaking today, then uh I can also read it out on your behalf. And I think that is everything that I needed to cover. So I will promptly hand over to Alessandro.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, Helen. Um, let me quickly share my screen. Okay, so um, well, thank you very much, um, everyone for joining. Um, I'm Alessandro Piscopo. I'm a principal data scientist at the BBC in a Team called Data Lab. Um, today, I'm going to talk about uh, what we do in Data Lab, which is basically uh, we deploy, we develop, and deploy public service recommenders. And I'm mainly going to talk about how we do this, because I think that's the most um, interesting part. Uh, so, very briefly about myself. Um, as you can see, I come um, from somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, um, but um, I'd like to say that my path to where I am now is has been long, also kind of metaphorically. Um, I uh, in kind of a previous life studied classics, worked for a couple of years in publishing, and then slowly moved moved to computer science and uh, data science. You can see my kind of geographic path um, is very much kind of correspond very much to my uh, discipline path, but. Um, yeah, enough about me, let's move to the topic of this presentation. Um, so um, I'd like to start with a little bit of history of the BBC. And but this is going to be something interactive at these parts of the presentation. So um, this is going to be a quiz. Um, let's start with the first question. Um, after how many years from its foundation did the BBC have its first TV broadcast? Uh, um, is, is it three? 8 or 15 years. I give you a few seconds to
4: answer. Shall we put the answer in the chat?
3: Uh yes. I I can't see where the chat is at the moment, but I uh, yes, I can see it. Uh, okay, I have 2 15 8 15. So, um to um, whoever said eight, uh, that was the correct uh, answer. And exactly, the BBC was founded in 1922 uh, and its television broadcast was in 1930. So um, I made this um, kind of, timeline of kind of technological technological milestones of the BBC, uh, because tech has always been crucial for the BBC. As you can see, like, um, in 1992, it was founded, then um, eight years later, it was the first television broadcast, although um, regular television services didn't start until 1936. Um, TV news started a couple of years later in 1948, um, which was also the year in, in which uh, the, uh, the, the first televised Olympic Games took place. there was just at that time it was the uh, most technically advanced outside broadcast undertaken by the BBC. Um, the evolution continued uh, between the fifties and sixties. It was uh, came. Total tele- tele- TV. Uh, and then I don't know, just uh, possibly some of you um, remember, remind that there was CFAX. It was invented by the BBC. And um, it was a way to um, just, I remember you could read news or just you can get like a live football results from it. There were games you could, uh, today I just heard that someone could book. Um Holidays from it, just uh, typing some numbers in the TV was some kind of. Um, in 1997, the BBC went online. And uh, just you know, to give you some context, the web was invented in 1991. Um, Amazon was uh, created, started in 1995. So this was after Amazon. But before uh, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, and the likes, so um, it was very much uh, kind of early in the um, history of the web. And then, you know, with time, just ten years later, in two thousand seven, there was the first on-demand service. Um, now, um, why I am why am I telling you these? Well, um, just to um, point out that. Uh, Tech has always been crucial for the BBC, but um, tech has always been a means to an end. Um, Tech uh, is like uh, something that uh, is useful to serve our audience the best we can, to provide them with the best content and with um, the best services possible. Um, Sorry. Okay, Uh, so um, another question, what's the Royal Charter? And I'll give you three seconds. Um, uh, The document that uh, says, that sets how much is the license fee, uh, B, the constitutional basis of the BBC, which sets out its objects, mission and public purposes, or C, the list of programs broadcast by the BBC every day. Uh, I have, yeah, lots of B's here and well, that's the, Correct answer. The Royal Charter is the constitutional basis of the BBC. It sets out its mission, object, and public purposes, and it's renewed every 11 years. Now, um, you're probably familiar with the mission of the BBC, which is um, the words inform, educate and entertain. Uh, well, this is kind of really the base of what we do, and uh, we, we should do this uh, by serving all audiences through the provision of impartial, high quality and distinctive output. Now. Um, Besides the mission, there are our public purposes. And you can see there, uh, them there. Just um, there's we want to provide impartial news to, to allow people understand and engage with the world, support learning, uh, show the most creative and high quality output and reflect the diversity of all the communities within the United Kingdom. Um, this is underpinned by values. There are like audiences are at the heart of what we do, and trust is the foundation of what we do as well. We, are, we, we, we strive, we are independent, impartial, and honest. Um, we respect each other and the value diversity. Um, at the same time, we are license fee funded, uh, which means that everything we all of our outputs must provide, must offer value for money. At the same time, we um, we aim to all work together to be one BBC and we put creativity at the core of all of all we do. Now um just uh, I promise you there will be only a few more questions. Um, how much content does the, does the BBC produce every day? And the answers are a a few dozens articles and videos b hundreds of videos, articles, and podcasts, or C, thousands of video, audio, and text items. A few seconds to reply here. Uh, We have some Cs and some Bs. Well, the correct answer is C. Every day, the BBC publishes thousands of video, audio, and text items, and those are diverse, not just in in terms of their format, but also uh, just, like we have sport, we have news, we have different topics, we have um, kind of more informative content, more uh, entertainment content, you name it. So just lots of content, lots of diverse content. Um more question. Um, how many people does the BBC reach every week? Is it A, less than uh, 50% of the UK population? Is it B, about 70% of the UK population? Or is it C, more than eighty percent of the UK population, and again, a few seconds. Uh, we have a couple of B's and a C. Um, so, it's the correct answer is C. Um, every week, more than eighty percent of the UK population and more than two hundred eighty million users were right. Uh, use. Some services at the, of the BBC, just it could be online or TV or uh, you yeah, video, audio, etc. So, a large audience, a large and diverse audience again. Um, bonus question Who's this man? And the answers, the possible answers are A, a BBC News presenter, B, Robert Kelly, AKA BBC Dad, or the director general of the BBC. Again, a few seconds to answer. See, lots of bees here. Apparently, uh, most of you know who this person is. He's uh, Robert Kelly, was um, nicknamed BBC Dad, and basically just, well, there was this, um, it was it was being interviewed by the BBC and his kids just um, came into the room. And this is to say that the, the that besides you know, the, the, the traditional um, uh, channels like TV and radio, um, there are like only services like uh, the, 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 the website, BBC News, the, the, the homepage, but also there are social media channels, and the BBC must be present also there. And also social media channels are very different in terms of their dynamics from traditional channels. Now, uh, just let's try to sum this up. Um, the BBC is a public service organization. As I say, we are driven by our mission, public purposes, and values. And um, we have a set of editorial guidelines to provide guidance on how to um, follow those mission, public services, and values. And our output, all our output, must comply with editorial guidelines. Besides, um, as I said, technology set, uh, must be at the service of our audiences. Technology is crucial to you know, like get what audiences provide content to provide good content to them, and um, and and say the the, 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 the the aim is is that is not just um, a means by itself and an then by itself. And I will add, uh, data is, must be at the service of our audiences. Um, uh, I say just I mentioned that we have um, lots of content, diverse content, uh, large audiences. Um, and we have data about those. Um, we must use that data, these data, to reach each and every one of our audience member. But now, um, I'd like to ask you just—you um, saw the timeline. Um, much has changed. Very much has changed since you know we started, even since like uh, we went for the first time online in 1997. How can we still? How can the BBC still stay relevant in the current media landscape? And just to um, to define very to, to, to give a hint about uh, what what I mean by the current media landscape, uh, I will just um, mention like just you probably or most of you are users of online service or services like. Spotify, uh, some news services like the news aggregator, like Apple News, um, YouTube or Netflix. And, um, and all of them just uh, have some sort of personalization. Uh, Users are very much accustomed to get content that is tailored to their tastes. And this goes just for movies to social media uh, or video content to news. But also um, it's been shown like some studies from um, Dutch University, shown that above all, young user they expect and want to find personalization in things like news. And so, the, the challenge here is how do we get just each and every one of our audience member to uh, to get the best of, of the BBC. And our personal our answer uh, is data-driven recommendations. And um, we. Uh, As I say, just the BBC must be for each and every one of our audience members, but while at the same time building a common ground knowledge across diverse audiences and being an authoritative source of information. Now, um, there are like just the BBC uh, is almost 100 years old. Um, It's um, so, and it's an organization with its dynamics and its history. And so there are certain challenges to overcome to get there, to get to having data-driven recommendations across the whole of the BBC. Now, um, I, I, we can um, we kind of distinguish three types of challenges. The first one is cultural challenges. And as I said, every output of the BBC must comply, must follow the editorial guidelines so far. Editorial have decided which pieces of content to surface and how these are connected. They are the judges of what follows of whether something follows editorial guidelines or not. Now, how do we switch to that context to a data-driven approach in which every single of its member is connected to the most relevant and engaging content while retaining the quality ensured by the domain expert's experience? So, this is the first set of challenges. The second set of challenges is operational challenges. Um, As I said, editorial have the last say on all BBC outputs and they guarantee its compliance with editorial guidelines. Um, You probably imagine that data driven um, content, data driven personalization um, makes no exception. Um, How does editorial oversight apply to? Large-scale recommendations, and just think about this: we just optimizing to for editorial guidelines means that there is no clearly defined optimization function. So, how do we translate this in practice? And the third set of challenges is infrastructural challenges. Um, we have a, a large number of products and services, and of users we want to serve. Um, how do we enable data scientists and engineers to create and deploy highly performant recommenders with the minimal possible effort? And this is just think about it. This is key if we want to be if we want to provide value for money, which is one of the of our core principles. And this, there's exactly you know the, these three challenges is where our team data lab comes into play. Um, it is a multidisciplinary team. Uh, it was created in twenty seventeen uh, with a mission of delivering machine learning at scale across the BBC, and its main focus is recommended systems. Um, now, I would like to talk about that as a, as a journey. Um, we this is where we started this um, boat, is where we were when we started. Um, we will be able to to say, land ahoy, we will be there. Our goal is to be in a place where we can say that we are able to rapidly design, evaluate, and deploy recommendation engines for any BBC product through a culture of experimentation, iteration, and improvement. This is our goal. This is where we want to be at the end of our journey. Now, our approach to get there, is based upon three pillars, interdisciplinary collaboration, fast iteration, sorry, this just, um, and machine learning engine principles. So um, interdisciplinary collaboration. Well, um, uh, in our team, just, we always uh, work together and uh, between not just, um, we, we aim to avoid silos, like of um, uh, as a, as in like data people working on among data people, like at, uh, editorial, etc. We work together in close collaboration between product, editorial, and data scientists. There are three these three aspects, and this is key because um, if you want to um, optimize editorial guidelines, uh, we need to uh, integrate editorial feedback uh, into our recommendation approaches and so the working every day side by side is um crucial to translate editorial guidelines into algorithmic choices and i will make examples of that so this is bbc plus this was our first product um this was the first example of completely data-driven personalization of bbc um it was an app in which uh video clips short clips were recommended so um it was our first piece of work. the main challenges was identifying the right metadata to use and create it if it was not available. And in order to do that, um, editorial and, and data people worked side by side to, to because editorial the experts of where metadata is and what metadata is available. but also, the editorial and data people worked side by side to define, to, to say what editorial guidelines are. Um, and what and data people said, oh, these are the ways we can actually implement them. And in those cases were business rules, for instance, blacklist and content or uh, implement some recency decay function and so on and so forth. Um, as you can imagine, just metadata was, particularly important in this case because users were modeled the distribution of tags. Uh, the application is now, it was proof of content, now discontinued. Moving on, um, we um, this approach evolved in a kind of circular process where editorial provide feedback and data scientists um, kind of feedback into the, the recommender system they're working on, tweaking the model and applying Business rules, and this goes on and on just until there's an editorial sign-off. Um, we developed some approaches, like monitoring approaches, tools, and explainability approaches, and ways to kind of talk a common language to uh, get to this, to get this process in place. An example was we, uh, for instance, um, developed a web tool uh, in which we could. Uh, allow editorial to provide feedback about our recommendations. Uh, was particularly um, an example of this was when we worked on uh, some BBC news and were a service recommender where that, that, that there were particular challenges in terms of sensitive topics, impartiality but also multilinguality we, we, we dealt with different teams because uh, for each version of uh, the World service website. Um, something also um, that is part of our approach is the machine learning engine principles. Um, these principles rely on a broader set of BBC values, but uh, it's you know, like we want our machine learning engine to reflect uh, BBC values, to uh, broaden the horizon of our audiences. Uh, we want to improve their experience, we want to um, be transparent and clearly explain our uh, uh, what our engines do, and we want always to keep a human in the loop. These principles were translated into a checklist that uh, covers all steps, all steps of development and deployment for machine learning engines, but uh, not being uh, are not prescriptive. Uh, they are rather um, uh, guidelines um, that should be followed, like for guidance. By uh, everyone who works in the machine learning engines, and moving to another challenge, uh, infrastructure. Uh, well, I, I've always, I've already mentioned that um, we have lots of services, lots of products, different types of products, and lots of users. We want to be able to scale up services in terms of number of users and number of products. And so there were two main. Uh, sorry, this sometimes. My slide just, well, my computer decides that um, it's time to go to the following slide. Um, so, the, the core parts of our infrastructure strategy were data ingestion and serving. And data ingestion was mainly focused on getting all the data and, like, in place for our data scientists and engineer to use, because you imagine like at the BBC, data is very often stored in silos and you need to get InfoSec approval to get these. So everything is one place. We can in data lake, we can get it from there. And we have even an experimentation sandbox if we want to experiment as data scientists. Um, in terms of serving, well, um, we, we aim at having a serving infrastructure that extracts serving. From the models, so that data scientists can quickly work on new models and just plug those in to our serving infrastructure. Um, this was particularly important for the work we did on BBC Sounds, on the recommender for BBC Sounds, uh, where we had to develop a new infrastructure in Google Cloud. It was the first in-house recommender for BBC Sounds, and uh, the main advantage of that is that, You know, once it took a long time to get that in place, but once it was ready, this was reused to power a number of rails. Just having this infrastructure in place now allows us to quickly deploy, and it's in a matter of minutes, new versions of the recommender. And uh, imagine just advantage in terms of, 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 of savings, in terms of value for money that it represents. So um this is mostly where we are now. Uh you, you see we have um made just a long way, but um we, we, we can't say we cannot say land the whole way. We are we have not reached our goal, but uh we have learned some lessons along the way. And now um but, and I will just talk about the main three lessons. Um the first one is fast iteration. That's what's key. This is something we have to do better um, about, but um, we've learned that starting simple helps build terms team capability and builds confidence across team. Um, simpler model just allowed our data scientists to, to build capability, I say, but also just to be the common ground between our data people and editorial people. We are able to speak the same language after working together and you know, on both sides, we are able to know what to expect from recommendations from a recommender. And just even just imagine trust from the editorial side increasing what recommenders can do. But also it allows us to be cost-effective. The second aspect is people. We have um, a diverse team with varied cross-domain expertise, and we have a multiple multiple possibly competing objectives. So it is key to achieve this diverse objective to have diverse people involved because they can just approach problem for diverse, for different aspects and that's why we, we say diversity is inherent to our mission both as a BBC and as a team. And finally the, the third lesson was that we want to make the data... Um, and editorial work together, we want to make the like um, the insight we get to, from data and the, the editorial domain knowledge to actually um, you know improve the quality of our output or our recommender to just combine them to give the best we can to our um, audiences, and um, we've been able to articulate our principles, like say where we want to get what should guide us. Um, we've developed some tools to gather total feedback and the process to implement that. We now need to connect uh, these principles and these tools to actually apply those at large scale, to have um, actionable metrics ca- that can be applied at scale. Um, and that was everything. If we want to read more about these, there are some short papers we published. I will share the slides after this presentation. The last thing um, this is based on an industry talk we submitted at REXIS, at uh, like a very big recommendations conference this year. Um, I was just one of the authors. I want to acknowledge the um, three other authors, Christina D and Felix, and the whole data lab team because this was about uh, like how. Uh, a whole team work. Um, you can read more about what we do at our website and please do contact me or us if you want to know more.
4: Thank you very much.
1: That's great. Thank you, Alessandra. That was really interesting. Uh, just a reminder, to everyone, you can put your questions in the chat and then I'll ask you to say them out loud. Um, so while people are having a think and typing, um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more uh, around, I guess, the fundamentals or what needs to be in place to support that interdisciplinary collaboration and in particularly How do you get to that point of speaking a shared language?
3: Uh, well, I have to say, I think there, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, Actually, there are two things. One is time, but it's kind of obvious. Uh, at the beginning, I remember a conversation with the editorial from other teams. You know, like it took some time to gain momentum. You know, there was um, possibly, I wouldn't say mistrust, but you know, you could see people thinking, "Oh, recommendations." You know, there was this um, word, the buzzword, filter bubble creeping in every time. Um, it took time to show them. You know, you show them the outputs of what your recommender does. You, you explain, you know, we, we um, I haven't mentioned that explicitly, but we um, we created something called recommender sheets in which we explain in layman's terms what our recommenders do. But also we have decision logs that, you know, lists. on one side, there's an editorial decision log and the corresponding data science log. So um, if you are from editorial, you could see you can see how an editorial decision has been addressed in terms of um, data science solution. And the other way around, you know, if, if I'm applying a data science solution, I'm able to see which editorial decision is addressing. The second thing is, um, and big credit goes to her, is my colleague Anna. We have an editorial lead um, and she's, she's an editorial person embedded within our team. And she's been great to organize, she's just been very good to talk to other people. editorial, you know, she knows, you know, what they expect, how they usually behave. So I think having someone within the team from editorial was really helpful in that sense. That's great. Thank you. Uh-
1: you see in the chat, Jay asked quite a similar question. So Jay, I don't know if there's anything that you want to expand uh, on Alessandro's answer or if we can jump to the next question. I can read out um, if you want. So the second question is how does this funnel across the different remits for different channels such as BBC
3: Scotland, etc.? Uh, well, this is a tough one. Perhaps, and um, I would say I wouldn't know how to answer in terms of ch- channel like this kind of national channel because um, we've talked about uh, the importance of location, location-based recommendations, and the purpose of um, different recommenders. You know what we want to get, but I don't think this was the scope of the question. Um, I can say, for instance, um, uh, In my experience, I had to to deal with um, like BBC News Team and BBC Sounds, and of course, um, if you think about you know the the, these tenets, you know the the three core um, aims, you know in our mission, like to inform, educate, and entertain. Think about um, these three points are declined differently. In each channel, for instance, for news, you would point more to inform, and there are, of course, um, and of course, there are different expectations. You must respect diversity. You must be impartial, etc. And it is not that it's not the case in other products like BBC Sounds. Of course, you must be impartial, but um, in a product like BBC Sounds, you know the the the, the main aim is. Yeah, it's probably not inform, but entertain. And so there is also this different aspect when we talk about diversity. There is there is possibly a bit less of interest because they say, well, they recommend the the recommended for you rail. It's just one rail among others. So we have lots of rails, and each rail kind of
4: um, has a function.
1: Thank you. Just um, so Neil's put quite a few <laughs> questions in the chat. Um, would you like to read them out um, yourself or
3: do you want me to? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so, well, Neil, uh, I think I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> There's Ooh, how as yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I, I thought, sorry, sorry, I meant, I thought she asked me to read them out. Please. Go ahead. I was intrigued how
0: individuals can actually
3: influence... The
0: algorithm, as in, if you notice that it's serving up Well, it kind of leads on to my sort of third question is, um, what happens if somebody puts on Peppa Pig consistently, for, uh, but is actually a grown-up, uh, um, you know, with an iPlayer in particular? How, does that skew the algorithm, or do you go, ha-ha, we can spot a grown-up from a mile
3: off trying to replicate a toddler? Uh, that's the skew the algorithm. I, I would say, depending on the algorithm, it could possibly skew an algorithm. Um, and I think um, I think it would just have, I had a chat in the past about cases like these with colleagues who work because um, um, we don't work, well, yes, we don't work directly on a player with the birds um, since I think last year, one person from our team just is attached to their team, so she's working on that. And I think well, first of all, um, well, they help people just basically they help people to use their that you can have a kids account attached to yours. Um, of course, it might skew your results. And uh, and I guess this is something... Um, this talks about like the fact that our journey is not, you know, we are not at the end of our journey yet because we, we are improving and improving.
4: Uh, Was there another question?
0: Just well, um, just is the phrase recommendation a bit strong? I mean, because I'm not saying it implies Big Brother knows best, but um, if if somebody's recommending something to me, I feel they would know me and they, based on their personal experience. But again, I suppose it's down to the
4: algorithm. Well,
3: um, and. uh, Honestly, I never thought about you know the, the, the term. So I, I mean, um, most in most cases, you know, like when you have like personalized recommenders, um, the, the actual goal is just trying to understand, um, trying to gain kind of implicit knowledge about you, just looking at your um, uh, usage patterns and. Uh, Kind of determines whether, just for the deter- for a piece of content, whether you probably like it or not, um, whether it would be relevant for you or not. Um, That's, I think the main goal, and this is something we haven't yet really touched upon, um, is that we should be more explicit about. Um, how our recommenders work. And I will be strongly in favor of, because we are in the BBC, I think we owe it to our audiences to have, first of all, a way, and I think that there might be a way to that, like a way to opt out of recommendations. It should be, I think, in all recommenders, in all algorithms that, you know, like target people and use individual users. And the second is just have a clear explanation of what the, uh, recommender does, and how it works, and what data it uses. I hope that this address
4: your question.
0: It's fine. I, I guess it's still work in progress for a lot of this stuff, and it's fascinating, um, yeah. evolving arena, but you know, thanks for a
4: really great presentation. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Neil. Uh, Fintan, would you like to read out your question?
0: Yeah, sure. Hello, hi, Alessandro. Uh, Yeah, so I guess, uh, like disclaimer, I also worked in recommendations uh, in BBC, so very primed. But I did see there was really interesting research about trying to get people like uh, out of these like individualized bubbles. This is how these you know social media and all these things see see the atomic unit of the person, and all the recommendations is them as a sole human. But I mean, you know. We're often in uh, rooms together or sharing uh, places together. And I saw there's some work now, like, uh, what have I recommend? Where your music tastes overlap with the friends and recommend the playlist. Um, Yeah, and has the BBC done any more thought or thought about the future recommendations to kind of make it more communal, family-based? Yeah, kind of getting beyond the individualized recommendations and how to deal with that.
3: Uh, to be fair, it's this is just a typical idea. I think I've been in lots of meetings where this the um just came up, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's super cool, let's do it," but I I don't think it's been picked up by any of the products I've been dealing with. Uh, I'm not sure because just um. I play, we don't work very much with a player, but I think they might be looking at something like that, but I'm not sure. I think, yeah, I agree that it's a great idea. And I think that there were kind of thoughts about doing like, doing something like that. Also to address the problem of, yes, parents putting on Peppa Pig or, well, Hey Dougie, to have something, to mention something in house. to just you know kind of think about oh this is actually more people um I, I like identifying more people that in one adult and one child watching it together but i don't know that at what stage they are in that
0: uh, all right okay and uh, there isn't a, like so it's just an eye player thinking about it and but there aren't other people kind of looking into this or kind of you know the future recommendations as well like, what's next? So if this is getting it up to this level, then what do you kind of imagine is, like, what are interesting open questions and recommendations, other ones?
3: Well, for us, I, 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 I say, for me, the, the, the main um, the main things I'd like to us to um, move to is, first of all, understanding what diversity means for us. Um, because we talk very much about diversity within recommendations. But um, it, there was a very nice paper from a researcher from the University of Amsterdam, and they looked actually at different concepts of recommendations, uh, depending on the, uh, they called it the democratic theory behind it. So there are uh, liberal, th- liberal theory, participative theory. And so um, understanding what metrics match the... Um, kind of uh, the social concepts underpinning the BBC. I think this is one key thing to look into. And, um, and in terms of practical recommendations, I think uh, we, there there are um, discussions, a lot of discussions about how to make the BBC a habit, a daily habit for everyone. Um, well, you probably have heard about under 35s and younger audiences. And I think... Um, You know, the the two main areas that we are kind of exploring, we are just at the beginning, are, um, well, first of all, uh, location-based recommendations. Uh, The BBC has lots of great um, location-relevant content. And how do we just, you know, get users to get the content that is relevant for them, not just as a user, but just for where they are. And second, just getting people content that is relevant depending on the time of the day. If you in the morning usually just want to um, have your daily beep in which you hear about, you know, all fresh news about the BBC, everything interesting, um, worth knowing today, you should have it because, you know, in the morning, the first thing you do and it becomes a habit. It's it's also a service because, like, You want to know, you want to be updated about the war, or maybe just you want to be entertained. And so I think, yes, location and time-relevant recommendations.
0: Uh, Yeah, and so just a daily habit. Like, you say daily habit, but where does daily habits, like, you know, healthy daily habits stop and uh, addiction starts? Or, or, like, you know, BBC could just recommend the trashiest possible thing all day, every day, and people absolutely hooked on it. It would drive up the minutes on app by massively, but like, where you know, is there a difference between
3: eating your apps and eating? Your... I, I had the same um, um, objection once. You know, as you said, just the BBC could recommend the treasure thing. Um, the answer I got from editorial from some people in the editorial was mostly where. Um, I think that worst-case scenario, just the BBC content is generally you know, of good quality. So well, this is an answer, but I'm not very much convinced by that answer. I don't think it's a very good answer. The second thing is, well, um, I think an obvious answer is, uh, again, just going back to the concept of public service recommendations. We don't want just to... I think we don't want just to increase clicks. And this is something we, we still have just a long way to go. We want to un- just get good metrics to understand whether that's a good, healthy habit. Because, um, yeah, at least for me, just if we just want to increase clicks, well, th- th- that's not what I'm here for. This, there's this concept of public service should be beyond clicks. We should find a measurable way to understand whether people are informed uh well people well I'm, I'm and 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 then educated, but you know just i think it's understanding ways to measure good habits that's the key
0: um so it's a bit like maybe you're measuring the the balanced diet of yeah we've recommended thirty three percent if informed stuff thirty three percent entertainment and thirty three uh yeah oh yeah but, yeah. If, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's like, uh, but like, uh, I just I literally. Yeah, I read an article on TikTok today. That's that is absolutely like addiction, addiction, addiction. There's not like time on app, like absolutely. And I, even I, I found certain parts of the BBC seem to be maybe just uh, hadn't got the message on. It's not just about uh, maximizing um, time on app or whatever. But yeah, it, it's attention really. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I think, um, and it uh, this. It wasn't only the BBC that did something like that. I think in um, um, other uh, media outlets, um, during the pandemic, at a certain point, started decreasing uh, content on, uh, for, on about COVID, or just adding. We, we, I know, we definitely started adding more um, kind of uh, good news. To the news website, or some you know, changing maybe the mix in the uh, in the um, home in the news homepage, something like that. I'm not 100% sure because I, I don't work in news, but um, I think a good way to do it could be that. Because, for instance, if you if you look for that, if you just aim to understand that, you could understand whether um, a behavior is a bad behavior if something is obsessively looking at some certain content. I think it's uh, if you want to. If you don't want just to optimize for click, you can say, okay, maybe you're looking too much of these, increase the diversity because you should read more about other things. You should be more good news. You should have a balanced set of news. Yeah, uh, cool. Uh,
4: thanks.
0: That's all my body in for questions.
1: Thanks, Vincent. Uh, we've got a few minutes left before we need to wrap up. Are there any? Last
2: questions or thoughts from anyone? Hi, hello. Hi, hi. Hello. Uh, hi, hi, Sandro, and thank you so much for uh, this uh, insightful uh, presentation. Uh, actually, I have some like comments or points, maybe uh, uh, thoughts more than question. Um, when you when you mention about uh, uh, the two aspects, maybe that you are to be explored, which is location-based and uh, time-aware recommendation, uh, it's really interesting aspects. Have you also thoughts about um, like time-aware in terms of popularity, uh, especially in the news content? Like popularity, uh, maybe play a significant role here uh beside the time for example uh if there is olympic if you are in the olympical time uh where uh, the olympic is running uh maybe leaders uh, want to see more about the olympic in their location you know uh have you thought about this um
3: i think there the, the um um the just quick answer is Yes, kind of, <laughs> um, like a longer answer is, well, uh, first of all, popularity is in most recommenders um, cannot take either implicitly or explicitly popularity into account, because of course, popularity skews the content you, you see. Um, so that's definitely something that may affect your recommender and you can also kind of optimize your, your recommender to uh, take that more or less into account. And The second thing we did—we did do some experiments, um, but very shortly about picking popularity of a topic rather than of a piece of content within the BBC, outside the BBC. Just um, trying to uh, look at social media and seeing if there's any cue to, you know, pick some um, some topic that is about to trend. Um, However, it just these experiments were very um, short. But kind of, we did some spikes, some hacks, and we we play with that. But there are no um, serious attempts, as far as I know. Yeah,
2: yeah, because it is like a cross-domain uh, uh, experiment. Yeah.
3: Yes, yes. When you just when you go above all, when you go out and start getting other data sources, like um, um, like for instance, let, let's say just trending hashtags on twitter um there is always the risk for any big organization to pick the wrong um trend for uh, i mean for wrong reasons just there are um like they're always um you know there's you don't want to 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 pick something that will harm your reputation so
4: uh, it's
3: Um, I think we are on the side of caution in in this case. Well, as in many cases.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, The the other point that I I just want to raise, uh, in terms of the time-aware recommendation, have you also thoughts about the mood of the end users, uh, whether the moods are related to the time of the day, time of the week, or related to their, for example, age, if they are young or adult or so on? um because it is a public service have you thought about this and whether this can be used as a signal for their behavior Uh,
3: we haven't thought uh, about the user mood itself but we did think that there were experiments but uh, again just very short experiment about the um, kind of the mood the the kind of this well the, the. the word sentiment is a bit abused, so I, I we use the word mood of articles, and um, they were experimenting with tagging um, uh, it content items with different uh, mood tags, and then trying to uh, generate um, I don't know happy playlists uh, or light playlists, but uh, so far it's you know it's still like experiments that um. And, I don't think there are, as far as I'm aware, there are no plans to, you know, move quickly into productionizing or something like that. Yeah. Okay.
2: Thank you so much. Good luck.
4: Thanks. See.
1: Okay. Thank you. Uh, there's no final questions. I think we can wrap it up there. So thank you again, Alessandro, for the really interesting presentation and thank you everyone for attending and for your questions. Uh, as we said at the beginning, uh, this is recorded to go on YouTube. So if you want to be able to refer back to it or share it, um, it will be up there in the coming weeks. Uh, so yeah, I hope everyone has a really good Friday afternoon.
0: You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institutes.